Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. in an age of influencers. People far away, we watch what they do, we listen to what they say. Well, it's not unique to the 21st century. In the 19th century, there was a confessional Lutheran. He never set foot in the United States, but his influence over Lutheranism and many things Lutheran in the United States is enormous. Wilhelm Leia. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to get a biography and learn of the works of 19th century Lutheran theologian Wilhelm Leia. He's remembered on the 21st of February. He was born in 1808. Dr. Cameron McKenzie of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, will be our guest. A little bit later, Dr. Jordan Cooper rejoins us to respond to your questions and comments about Luther's large catechism with annotations and contemporary applications. Dr. Cameron McKenzie is professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's author of the book, The Reformation. Dr. McKenzie, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. Nice to be with you. Let's start with the big picture. What was the state of Lutheranism in Germany in the early and mid-19th century? Yeah, good question. Coming out of the 18th century, the Enlightenment There was a lot of uh, rationalism in important places in the Lutheran establishment, higher echelons of the clergy and at the universities. And that means, of course, men who had decided that they should use their intellects as the test for Christian truth rather than uh, the scriptures. So things like the Trinity, person of Christ, vicarious atonement, eh, a little irrational, and therefore we're going to soft-pedal them or actually deny them. And instead, we're going to talk about good old morality, practical Christianity, whatever that amounted to. That's what you get from the 18th century. But under kind of the new impulses of Romanticism, which said, hey, there's more to human beings than their head. There's also the heart. There's also the emotions. There's more to truth than just what reason comes up with. There's also tradition and history. New things are happening. And one of the new things that happens as a reaction against rationalism is the German awakening. It's a kind of uh, emotional reappropriation of Christian truth it's traditional Christianity, but the test for the individual will not be, do the scriptures teach it, although they have a high view of the scriptures, but is it a meaningful experience? In other words, for me to be a Christian, I've got to feel like a Christian. I've got to feel my sins. I've got to feel the gospel. So you've got this awakening that's a return to true Christianity with an emphasis on a lot of emotions. And there's a slice of that which is confessional. 
In other words, you've got men saying, yes, Christianity is experiential, but it has to be rooted in the scriptures, and those scriptures are confessed correctly in the confession. So it's a complicated picture, but in brief, that's the way I'd describe it. Give us a little biography of Wilhelm Leo. Okay. It's actually not too difficult. The man was born in 1808. His father was a prosperous businessman. The father died when uh, Wilhelm was, um, I think, eight or nine years old. He had always been interested in church and church things, and his mother was supportive of his idea of becoming a Lutheran pastor. So she sent him off to a gymnasium prep school and then finally to the University of Erlangen where he uh, studied theology, preparing himself for the ministry. Now, he was raised as a Christian, and I think he always considered himself a Christian, but at his gymnasium, he was tuned in more toward biblical Christianity, and then at the university, he was actually a Reformed professor who was one of these awakened Christians who led Leah to appreciate the depth of Christian history and especially the importance of rooting your Christianity in the scriptures so that Leah became a much more convinced Lutheran Christian after his uh, university experience under the influence of Croft and others. So he graduates, and then he, uh, well, and it was typical of the time, he graduates, I think, in 1831, and he spends the next six years kind of waiting for a call, looking for a call, filling in at various places, doing internships, and he developed a reputation as being a um, good preacher, but he is uh, does belong to this uh, confessional revival idea as well, and so I'm not sure whether that holds up his actually finding a good position or not, but eventually, in 1837, he does finally uh, receive a call into the uh, state church, Lutheran State Church of Bavaria, and it's to just a rural, little rural town called Neuendettelsau. It's uh, in the general area of Nuremberg, but really not a particularly prestigious place. And actually, for about 10 years, Leia wrestled with being kind of stuck in Neuendettelsau and wanted to be at a parish that was maybe in the city, bigger, more important. That never happened. God didn't uh, permit that. Leia then, therefore, did his entire ministry from 1837 until his death, 1872, in Neuendelisau. Now, one of the things that a person has to admire about Leia is that during that time, he does not let himself just kind of become a time server But when there is an issue or a problem, he's going to think through, well, how can I, how can we make a difference here in Neuendettelsau? And so over the course of that ministry, he not only revives good Christian Lutheranism in Neuendettelsau, but he also becomes active in missions and deaconess training, in liturgical reform, just a wide array of interest that he has. And in each of those areas, he makes a very important and significant contribution. Why were German Lutherans immigrating to the United States at that time? Oh, yeah, that's easy. It's a time when Europe's population is growing. 
it's a time when the Industrial Revolution is transforming the way people make livings in Europe. And there are more folks, and lots of them are being displaced by the economic transformation let loose by the Industrial Revolution. So you have people in Germany, which was late in industrializing, you know, it's toward the end of the 19th century that they get factories and so forth. They have a surplus population, and it's going to be difficult to feed them. It's going to be difficult for them to make livings. And so the New World, especially the United States, but even South America, increasingly looks attractive to people in Germany uh, wanting a new opportunity, a fresh start. So that's the big driver of German migration, which lasts really from, think of it as from post-Napoleonic Wars, 1815, until about 1890. And you get increasing numbers of Germans coming to America at that time. What kind of contact did Leia have with immigrant Lutherans in North America? That's another good question. Now, one interesting thing about Leia is that uh, my colleague John Pless once described it in this way. He's a, a missionary who never left home. So he's back there in uh, Neuendelsau in Bavaria, the pastor there, but he's interested in uh, missions. And he, you know, reads journals and reports and so forth. But on a visit to Erlangen, he came across a report on what was happening in North America, the United States particularly, that was written by an early Midwest missionary by the name of Friedrich Conrad Dietrich Wieneken. And Wieneken wrote reports on his experiences on the frontier by the time he's writing those reports, he is the pastor of a couple of churches, one of them right here in Fort Wayne where I'm located, but he's also a missionary. He's going around, he's gathering up the Germans, trying to get them into church in Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan, and he's writing back about the really terrible conditions that there are for Christianity, Lutheran Christianity on the frontier, largely on account of the fact that they're weren't any Lutheran pastors, weren't any Lutheran missionaries. So he's writing back, Leia gets a hold of one of those things, says, wow, we've got to do something. He puts parts of it and his own commentary into a little uh, church newspaper that was published in his area. And again, he challenges his readers, hey, look, we've got fellow Germans over there, no pastors, they need the gospel, what are we going to do about it? Well, they send him money, and shortly after he gets this money and he's trying to figure out what to do with it, a fellow by the name of Adam Ernst turns up at his door, and as the old hymn says, he says, send me, send me. And so Leah and a buddy pastor of his figure out, well, why not? Let's send a man to help in the mission in North America that F.C.D. Winnikin has been describing it. So that's the beginning of Leia's involvement with the mission to the German immigrants here in North America. He begins to train men for frontier ministry. His first idea was that, well, we'll send helpers for pastors. We'll send guys who are trained to be teachers because we can't give them a 
big university education. These are fellows who maybe, you know, have the equivalent of an eighth grade confirmation. And so we'll give them the doctrine that they need and the history that they need and exposure to the English language that they need. And he does that with Vukar. It only takes about a year or so with these guys. But over the course of the next, uh, this is 1841. The first guys go out in 1842. And over the course of the little more than the next decade, he uh, sends out uh, over 80 men into the American frontier to assist in this uh, mission endeavor. So that's one of his big contributions to uh, Lutheranism in America. He recruits, trains, and sends men for the mission. What was his motivation for sending pastors to not only the United States, but a handful of other places, Australia, the Ukraine at the time? What was his motivation? Well, let me just explain that coming out of this early work, they set up a mission society right there in Neuen Dettelsau. And it's over the course of the history of that uh, society that it would send over 300 missionaries into the foreign mission field. And as you say, in a variety of places around the world. But his motivation was simply this. He believed that Christianity was for everybody, that our Lord especially had died for everybody. And so that those of us who know and believe the gospel really had no right to keep it to ourselves. It wasn't just for you and me. It was for others as well. And we should look for opportunities to get that word of God to those others. Furthermore, he was convinced that confessional Lutheranism was a true and proper exposition of biblical Christianity. And although God could and does work through the gospel when it's preached, even if errors are present in that proclamation, God's bigger than our mistakes. But nonetheless, Leah was committed to the idea that if we're going to do this, we should do this purely. And so that meant sending Lutheran missionaries to North America and elsewhere around the globe, not just missionaries in general, but those who actually knew, believed, and were taught the truth of the scriptures, which Leah believed was the Christianity that is confessed and expressed in those Lutheran confessions. So he wanted mission work to be Lutheran, and mission work, he believed, was an absolute necessity if you were a true Christian. You should be telling others about Jesus, making it a big part of your work to get that gospel spread around the world for those whom our Lord had died. We are talking with Dr. Cameron McKenzie. We are remembering 19th century Lutheran theologian Wilhelm Leah. We'll find out how significant he was in the founding of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod next. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2.
This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ's altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org slash disaster. That's lcms.org slash disaster. Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're remembering 19th century Lutheran theologian Wilhelm Lea. Dr. Cameron McKenzie is our guest. He's professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of the book The Reformation. The Reformation not only details the 16th century Lutheran Reformation, it also covers John Calvin, the Reformed, the English Reformation, the Catholic Reformation, and more. Learn more about this beautifully illustrated coffee table book by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040 or on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org and look for The Reformation by Dr. Cameron McKenzie. Dr. McKenzie, how significant was Leah in the founding of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod? Extremely high. I mean, one term that I've heard used for Leah was he's the godfather of the Missouri Synod and not the pejorative meaning of that, but authentically a godfather who helped to bring uh, the Missouri Synod into existence. Most of those who uh, he sent ended up joining the Missouri Synod. And in the founding generation, the majority of the members of the Missouri Synod were actually Leah men, or let's say Leah Wienikin men. In fact, it was the Leah Wienikin men who had belonged to groups like the Michigan Synod, the General Synod, and the Ohio Synod, who on account of Leah's insistence that they join and serve Lutheran churches, not mixed Lutheran and Reformed, but Lutheran churches, decided that those synods really weren't adequate for doing the kind of work that Leah had sent them to do, truly Lutheran. And so they decided that they were going to start a new Lutheran synod, and they invited the Missouri Brethren, C.F.W. Walther and Company, to join them in those efforts and in those planning. So I think you could say the initiative for the Missouri Synod really came from the laymen here who were serving in the United States. I might mention, too, 
that when the Senate had its first convention, laymen brought with them institutions and programs that Leah had helped them initiate, and they brought those into the new Missouri Senate. Probably the two most important were the mission program to the Indians that Leah had initiated in the state of Michigan, and the Fort Wayne Seminary, the seminary at which I uh, teach, had been established by a cooperation between a frontier pastor, Wilhelm Seeler, here in Fort Wayne, and Wilhelm Leah back in Bavaria. Leah and Seeler had talked about this before Seeler came to America. When the Leah men realized that the Ohio uh, Synod was not going to be a good, or they thought it wasn't going to be a truly effective confessional Lutheran Synod, so they couldn't use the seminary there. Leah recruited a teacher and 11 students, sent them across the Atlantic. They made their way to Fort Wayne, Indiana, the summer of 1846, and Seeler began teaching them that fall. Well, that was Leah's initiative that uh, began this seminary for the purpose of preparing men for, again, this frontier uh, ministry, preaching the gospel to the people who were here and who were coming in ever large numbers. I should mention one other thing on this mission thing. When Leah sent men to America, he had a long list of instructions. They were going as Lutheran pastors. They should affiliate with a Lutheran synod. They should not serve mixed churches, Reformed and Lutheran mixed together, but just Lutheran churches. And they should report back to Leah what was happening with bringing the gospel to the American Indians, what was happening to evangelize those pagan peoples that these missionaries would presumably come in contact with. So right from the beginning, Leah is thinking, we've got to reach somebody besides the Germans. And on the basis of those reports, he determined that the state of Michigan would be a good place to do this work. There was already a little bit of work being done there. And then he thought, well, how are we going to do this? If we just send a missionary, it's going to be pretty tough. How is he going to be supported? Leah came up with the idea, well, let's send a congregation and we will have a pastor of that congregation. The pastor will be the missionary and the congregation will support the missionary as well as exemplify the Christian life. So, Leah goes about recruiting men for the congregation and a man as their pastor. Leah's own personal servant, a fellow by the name of Lawrence Lazel, that Leah had worked hard to help get him out of a terrible depression and funk and now was dedicated to the cause. Lazel plans it and actually comes. So, one of Leah's own servants comes on this. They recruited, I think there were about five couples. And finally, they came up with a pastor. This was a fellow by the name of Friedrich August Kramer. Oh, he's got an interesting story. When you get to his date, you got to do him too. But at any rate, he is recruited and he becomes the leader. And so Leah sends Kramer and this small group of uh, men and couples 
off to the wilds of Michigan on land that Leah has purchased on the Cass River about, I think it's maybe 15 miles or so from Saginaw in Michigan. And there they established Frankenmuth. Probably a lot of your listeners have heard of Frankenmuth. It's big in Michigan, still very German in its ethos and so forth. But its origins was as a German colony for the purpose of reaching the Indians with the gospel. And that's what Kramer did over the course of his uh, ministry there. They reached the Indians, and you can go to the cemetery at Frankenmuth where lots of those good Germans were buried, but you can also find where American Indians' graves are as well. So that was uh, Leah's project. And when the Missouri Synod was uh, formed, that initiative, that mission work, was transferred to the Missouri Synod so that right from our founding, the Missouri Synod has had a mission program to reach unreached people groups, in particular, in the beginning, at least, it was the American Indian. Why did Leah see a need for deaconess education? What was that all about? Yeah, deaconess training. In the 19th century, we're starting to see women do things outside of the home. Now, now a lot of this you know, has to do with an economic underpinning. The society is a little more prosperous, and so there's a little more money, and that means there's a little, there are more opportunities besides simply kind of working your fingers to the bone on a farm that can hardly keep anybody alive. So there are just more opportunities, and some of those opportunities are opening up for women. And uh, Leah, along with contemporaries also back in Germany, as well as Scandinavia and England and so forth, saw that the talents of women could be put to use for service in the church as deaconesses. And they have kind of a model from the early church that has records of women serving in various uh, ways. And in fact, you can go back into the New Testament and you have, you know, Dorcas, making clothes for the poor, or you have Phoebe carrying Paul's letter, I think it's to the Romans. So there are women active already in the New Testament, and now in the 19th century, they are seeing that there are opportunities for the service of women in kind of the the new social economic situations of the 19th century. And Leah sees especially a need for women in what we'll call the caring professions, particularly nursing. This was kind of the big thing that was developing, but it was also caring for uh, the poor and the handicapped. There was a need, and Leah uh, saw that there was a scriptural model for satisfying this need, and so he institutionalized it in a a training program for deaconesses and then also various kinds of uh, schools and uh, charitable institutions right there in the Noyan Dedelsau area where these deaconesses could be put to work. We're remembering 19th century Lutheran theologian Wilhelm Leah. Dr. Cameron McKenzie of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, is our guest. We'll talk a little bit about Leah's theology next. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. 
and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Pastor Peter Bender talking about his presentation at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Concordia University, Chicago. I'm going to die. Every one of us is going to die. At the time of death, the Christian faces so many assaults. We think about the death of loved ones that causes, at times, unspeakable grief. We can be assaulted by the regret over the things that we have failed to do. We wonder about the future. What will happen to loved ones? Where shall we for refuge go? To Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. You can meet and hear Pastor Peter Bender making the case for a dying man's consolation Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org Epiphany Lutheran Church in Door, Michigan, gathers to receive our Lord's gifts in word, baptism, and supper every Sunday morning at 9.15, Bible study at 11. Join us at 4219 Park Lane in Door, or visit us on the web, epiphanydoor.org. Christ-centered, cross-focused, historic, confessional, liturgical, Epiphany Lutheran Church in Door, Michigan, epiphanydoor.org, 616-681-0791. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about 19th century Lutheran theologian Wilhelm Leia with Dr. Cameron McKenzie. Dr. McKenzie, how would you describe Leia's theology? Well, Leia was a confessional Lutheran, and uh, he believed that um, the scriptures were the foundation for everything that we know, teach, and practice, and that the Lutheran confessions were a true and proper exposition of those scriptures. So he's a part of the confessional revival of the um, 19th century, and He's very much opponent of a strong effort at that time, kind of an ecumenical movement to push the Lutherans and Reform together into one church body. He's not interested in that, and he resists it 
in Bavaria, especially and actually successfully in Bavaria. At one time, he thought he was going to have to leave the Bavarian state church because it was mixing the confessions. Well, they were able actually to win that battle and stave off that unionism for a generation or so. So anyway, that's the kind of Lutheran he is. However, one kind of quirk that ends up creating division between uh, Walther and Leia, or between the Missouri Synod and Leia, and that is that Leia has a notion of what, what we call doctrinal development. And that means that there's kind of no doctrine until after the church has kind of discussed and argued about it and finally, finally, after a process, has reached a confessional statement regarding the issue. And in the particular case of Walther and Leia, it was the doctrine of the ministry about which they debated. But the difference is more than the fact that they had the debate. The difference was in the significance of that debate. Let Let me try to explain. Walther believed that his doctrine was taught in the scriptures. Leia didn't agree with that. Leia thought that his doctrine was taught in the scriptures. Now, for Walther and the Missourians, that's kind of a deal breaker. The Bible teaches things clearly, and if we believe it teaches A clearly, then somebody who holds B is holding to false doctrine. But Leia thought, well, no, you know, we're not quite sure. It could be A or it could be B. Why don't we discuss this some more, even argue about it some more, and maybe at some later date we'll reach a confessional statement, a doctrine. So Leia is willing to consider the doctrine of the ministry, the doctrine of the millennium, and I should add as a footnote here, Leia himself was a millennialist, a post-millennialist, and there were other things. It was like, Sunday, does the third commandment, really bind us to observing Sunday as a holy day? Could be. Walt in the Missouri and said, certainly not. Jesus, Paul, tell us that we're not bound. But at any rate, so there are these doctrines about which Leia is saying, well, let's call them open questions. Let's kind of debate them, discuss them. Let's live together in fellowship. And Walter is saying, in the position of the Missouri Senate, with which I concur, is that there's no development in doctrine. Doctrine is what the scriptures teach. Now, a controversy may help me to dig more deeply into those scriptures and help me to articulate more plainly what those scriptures teach, but it's in the scriptures. And so really, if we see that something is taught in the scriptures, that's a doctrine. An open question is when the scriptures don't teach clearly about it. Leia was just not there. He was thinking, no, there's doctrinal development. We can have our different opinions. We don't have to worry about being unified on all of these points. So that was a big difference between Leia and Missouri that ended up with a break between Leia and Missouri in the early history of the Missouri Synod. You mentioned Leia's liturgical reform. What was that? Yeah, okay, good point. In the 19th century, we get this renewed appreciation for history, tradition, the stuff that we know is good and true because it survived for so long. We can't maybe come up with a rational kind of way for saying that 
this is good and this is bad, but we know that something that has survived for a long, long time, just on the basis of its survival and its being used and so forth, has some good or merit. So in the 19th century, we get a a renewed appreciation for history and for people going back into history and seeing what we can learn about how we should live now from the experience of our forebears in the past. And one of the benefits of that kind of approach is a renewed appreciation for traditional ways of worship. And Leah certainly embraced that. And he thought that under the influence of rationalism especially, by the time you got to the 19th century, lots of good liturgical practice from the past had gone by the board. And so he kind of emphasizes things that were of remarkable value, but were no longer being used very much. And so he revives them. I'm going to give you an example in a second. But in connection with that, and especially again for the North American mission, he actually prepared kind of a model uh, church service book, a, a liturgical agenda for the pastors to use in leading their services, leading their people in various services that was uh, published and widely used in America here in the Midwest, including by Missouri Synod congregations for a long time. So a good example of something that he saw from the past that was neglected and that he thought needed revival was actually the practice of private confession and absolution. When Leah got to Neuendettelsau, they used the general public confession of the sort that we have in our church services, but private confession had just gone by the board. So Leah talked to his congregation about this explained the value that it could have for someone with a troubled conscience or somebody wrestling with a particular sin or situation for many, many years. And then finally he decided, well, we're going to reinstitute this. So he set up the time and place. And amazingly, what he had been teaching had taken hold And lots of people in his congregation began to take advantage of that. Well, that was something that he had discovered in the Lutheran past, had neglected, and now he reinstated with great success there in Neuendettelsau. So that was the kind of thing that he did. And that's one of the things you like about Wilhelm Lea. He's not just kind of going through the motions. He's kind of, you know just an old kind of guy just doing it the way they've always done it. No, he's thinking through. We've got these new situations. We've got these new problems. But we also have a rich Lutheran history, confessional, liturgical, dogmatic. And these things ought to be brought to bear on the problems of our own age, whether it's how to make use of women in the church or whether it's how to do missions or whether it's how to enrich our worship for the sake of the souls who are out there in front of us, all of those things he thinks about and then does something about them in a creative but also truly Lutheran Lutheran way. Which of Leah's writings are especially significant? I've just mentioned the one, his uh, liturgical uh, work. The other one that I'm familiar with and that is a, uh, a very fine work is his three books on the church. And that's where he explains what the church is, of course, but also encourages 
Lutherans especially, to appropriate the richness of their history and apply it, as I was saying, to the contemporary situation. Those are the ones I'm familiar with, and I think they're both worth looking at and studying even today. What is, then, the theological legacy of Wilhelm Leo? Well, institutionally speaking, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, our foreign mission program, and Concordia Theological Seminary of Fort Wayne. So there are these important institutions that characterize our life together as Lutherans here in America, for which he is at least partially and in a lot of ways almost wholly responsible. So that's one thing. But the other thing is, is this appropriation of our heritage uh, to meet new situations? That's what he did, and I think that's what really we're called upon to do these days as well. 19th century, a lot of change was going on, and Leah could see it, could see the different roles of women and so forth, could see the opportunities of spreading the gospel around the globe. And so he said, okay, let's do this, and let's do it in the right way. That's exactly what we need to do today, too. Huge amount of change going on. We're all familiar with the change. And we'd like to say, well, don't bother me. I'm just going to keep doing it the way I've always done it. Well, I suppose if you're like me, you're 75 years old, maybe that's going to work for a few more years, right? But I don't think it's going to work long term. We have to take this situation with which God confronts us, maybe even think of it as opportunities that God gives us, and take advantage of those and apply ourselves to those in a biblical, confessional, and Lutheran way. And there, I think, Wilhelm Lea can continue as a great model and example to us. Dr. Cameron McKenzie is professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, author of the book, The Reformation. Find out about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Forming Servants in Jesus Christ to Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. McKenzie, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. For the remainder of the program, we'll be responding to your questions and comments about Luther's large catechism with annotations and contemporary applications. We'll have Dr. Jordan Cooper, president of the American Lutheran Theological Seminary, with us. Stay tuned. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. What is mental health? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question of mental health with contributions from the LCMS Task Force on Mental Health, which is tasked with providing resources for Lutheran church workers to better care for their own mental health and those entrusted to their care. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org slash witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world 
from a Lutheran perspective. Continuing education for the confessional Lutheran. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Oh, Lord, open my lips. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. One of the greatest treasures in the Lutheran Church is the Lutheran Confessions, but it has not always been that way. From June 1st to the 3rd, Concordia University Chicago is hosting a seminar on the role of the confessional documents in the 19th century confessional revival. We invite you to come and learn about the recovery of the Lutheran Confessions through lectures and workshops, along with opportunities for prayer and fellowship. For more information, please visit cuchicago.edu slash confessionalism seminar. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858.